0: Jesus is coming back. Amen. That is a truth that hopefully uh, brings you great joy and gives you hope that Jesus is coming back. This is literally the culmination of all the gospel speaks of. If Jesus wasn't returning, if he wasn't uh, coming to get us and take us to where he is, then a lot of what we do, I, I would struggle to see the purpose if it was Uh, If Jesus wasn't coming back, all that we hope and look to will be made complete at his second coming. Many disagree on the aspects of when and the particulars, but still many look to his second coming with hopeful expectation it's probably one of the uh, topics in christianity that is the most uh, hotly debated argued topics is when jesus is coming back and and all of the particulars in this but we look expectantly because of what his second coming entails in first john 3 2 it says beloved we are god's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And this should bring you hope this morning. I don't know what you're going through, what your week has been like, everything else in your life, but the reality that when Jesus returns, that the best days you've had to date, man, they won't even compare to that moment when He arrives. And we are like him when we enter glory all the things that this world throws at us the problems the stresses the anxieties all the stuff it's just gone the moment he comes back as christians in a fallen and broken world we long to be with our savior and to live in perfect union with him if you've never just sat and thought about like what will it be like to just be in heaven to exist for for a day in heaven what is it like what are the things that we'll do what are the stresses what could there possibly be stress in heaven i i, I would argue there's not but what is it going to be like to be in glory we'll finish our our study today through our statement of faith and uh, next week we'll recap a little bit and talk about and we'll officially finish our series, but today we're actually going to get through the last lines of our statement of faith as we discuss Jesus, our coming King. Uh, if, you're, if you've not been keeping up with us, what we've been doing is going through our statement of faith as part of the Christian Missionary Alliance, uh, and it's called Foundations, this series, because it's all about having a foundation in Christ. And so many Christians go through their entire Christian life with an idea of what it means to be a Christian, but no actual foundation. Uh, and so I, I think it's prudent of all all believers everywhere to know why they believe what they believe, to have a firm foundation to know what does the Word of God say. And in my opinion, I, I love learning, I love debating, I love researching. And so unless you research the other sides, you don't really know... Uh, how firm your foundation is. And so I I think it's always helpful, like we're going to discuss some multiple views of different things today. uh, And I'd encourage you, don't just uh, ignore a view that you don't hold out of hand and say, oh, well, that's just ridiculous. Because the way I view it is, somebody, many people who are much smarter than me are able to look at this and come to this conclusion. So there's got to be something there, and I want to understand what, you know why, how they get to where they get to. And so I'd encourage you. You might have a specific viewpoint on some of these things, and you'll hold to that dogmatically, and that's okay. But listen to the other viewpoints as well. Hear where they're coming from and, and the scriptural basis maybe for why they believe what they believe and learn a little bit about it. Um, it's not maybe going to change your viewpoint on something, but at least you will enter it with an open mind. So, uh, but the, the last portions of the statement of faith we're going to cover today are, there shall be a bodily resurrection of the just and of the unjust. For the former, a resurrection unto life. For the latter, a resurrection unto judgment. The second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is imminent and will be personal, visible, and premillennial. This is the believer's blessed hope and is a vital truth, which is an incentive to holy living and faithful service. So that's it. That's the ending portion of our statement of faith. Hopefully you've taken my encouragement and you've been reading through our statement of faith each week, um, taking the opportunity to just read through that and familiarize yourself, because uh, it's it's a helpful document to familiarize yourself with because i think there's a lot of essential christian doctrine in that uh one of the things i do value very much about the christian missionary alliance's statement of faith is it would be what i would consider pretty bare bones uh i don't know that you can really pick anything out of it and say well that's not really necessary um except for one point and we're actually going to talk about that today uh But at the rest of it, it's like, yeah, this is what it means to be a Christian. These beliefs are the basis Christian beliefs. And that's what I love. If you, if you ever go on vacation somewhere like, not in western pennsylvania. Uh I'd encourage you if you if you're there on a sunday look up a local alliance church and just pop in and you will find that the alliance churches are so diverse, they're so different. Uh you're going to see them all over the place in different uh the way they worship, the the buildings, just the people and that's what I love because Because the statement of faith is so bare bones, it really gives any church the opportunity to be who God's called them to be, to enter a community, a place, and be uh, what that community needs in order to get to Jesus. And that's what I love about it. But I want to cover the first part of this. We're going to talk about the first portion, the first line there from our statement of faith. It says, there shall be a bodily resurrection of the just and of the unjust, for the former a resurrection unto life, for the latter a resurrection unto judgment. If you've been following along with our sermon series, you will recognize this is somewhat redundant language. We've actually discussed this exact topic before in our statement of faith earlier, um, But I also told you at the beginning of this series that we as a denomination are, are working through rewording some parts of our statement of faith as a denomination. Uh, and that this is one of the statements they're seeking to condense since it is somewhat redundant. We do, previously in the statement of faith, say basically this exact concept in a different way, uh, and this is the one, one of the ones they're trying to combine and say, yeah, we don't really need to say this twice in our statement of faith. Let's just combine these statements. Um, and so if, if you do, if you're, you like to follow along with that kind of thing and, and you follow along with our statement of faith as it develops and as they uh, make edits to it, you'll notice they're not taking anything out other than one point, which we'll talk about today, um, They're not really trying to change anything in our statement of faith. They're simply trying to reword and condense some of the things because the language isn't great in it. So um, just making you aware of that. But what we do know as believers is that our resurrection will be one unto life. In 1 Corinthians 15:20-23 20 it says, "But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, when at, then at his coming those who belong to Christ" What an awesome hope for us who know Christ that one day He's going to return. One day all who have died will be resurrected and it will be a resurrection unto life. Um, I don't know all the particulars of that. Uh, We can get into the, the... theological particulars, we're not going to because I don't think it's uh, necessary for this morning, but um, does that mean that those people aren't currently in heaven, that they're still dead and all of these things? Um, Then you get into the conversation about time and how does time flow, but we're not going there. I'd love to because that's my nerdy side wanting to get into that conversation, but uh, I don't think it's useful for right now. Uh, But what we do know is whether we die before Christ returns or Christ returns while we're still alive, all people all believers will be resurrected unto life. But those who do not believe will have a resurrection unto judgment. John 5, and 29 says, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Hopefully, this brings you great joy because you have a relationship with Jesus and you know that that day will bring about a resurrection to life. But this should also motivate us to be missional in the way we live, to know. There, There isn't some middle ground. Uh, I know the Catholics teach this thing called purgatory, which you won't find in Scripture anywhere. Um, but this idea that, yeah, well, if you don't do so great, you get to kind of go to this waiting ground, and then you can kind of work your way into heaven. Like, yeah, it doesn't work like that. Uh, heaven is not a works-based place. It's a faith-based entry fee. It's only do we believe that Jesus is who he said he is, and he did what he says he did. That's what matters is our faith found in Jesus. But for me to know that any who don't know him, who don't have a resurrection to life, means they have a resurrection to eternal judgment, motivates me to have conversations, to go outside of my comfort zone uh, and, and talk to people. I, I've told you one of the ways that my wife and I like to do this, just one of the common ways is anytime we're out to eat um, we just like to ask our server, hey, we're going to pray for our meals. Is there anything we can pray for for you? And, man, we've had some really great conversations. But sometimes, you know, they're really busy, and you can tell they're not really into it. And so it can be a little bit awkward, but it's like, hey, I have to understand that this life, it's so short. It's so brief. We only have so much opportunity to tell people about Jesus. And this is such an easy and natural way for me. We have neighbors that we try to talk to. You know, all, all of these things we like to do. Uh, this is part of what motivates us, knowing what the two options are. It's either life or it's judgment, and it motivates me, and I hope it motivates you to be missional in the way you live. Because as the next part of our statement of faith says, Jesus is coming back, and he's coming back soon. It says the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is imminent this comes from hebrews 10:37 as well as many other places it says for yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay There are some who believe that there are still some things which need to take place before Jesus can return, and they would argue, well, Jesus can't return until this happens in Israel or until the temple is actually rebuilt in Israel, but we believe there is nothing else in the prophetic calendar which needs to happen to precede Jesus returning. That's what we believe, that Jesus could return any moment, and that Every day is one day closer to when Jesus is going to return, uh, and that's what we believe. His return is imminent. That's what it means. Uh, the reality is that many of us live like the return of Jesus is not imminent. We might say we believe that it's imminent, but we don't live like His return is imminent. Some of us today, when we walked into this place, we know we have a whole stack of IOUs written out to jesus things that one day we're going to get to things that we say well lord i know that you're that you're calling me to this thing but right now you just got to understand the season that i'm in lord maybe once this is over then i can do that maybe then i'll be able to do what you're calling me to do as if god was like oh man (laughs) dummy me i forgot you had kids when I called you to do that, he wasn't even thinking about the fact that you have these other responsibilities in your life. God's fully aware. And so if he's impressing something on our heart, if he's calling us to something, then we need to answer. His return is imminent. I know I don't want to stand before Jesus and be like, ah, oh, man, I know that you told me to do that, but I was just waiting for a few more months. I was just waiting until kiara was out of diapers and then you know then then once everybody was in the school then i was going to do what you were calling me to do i don't want to stand there and have that conversation with jesus if he's calling us to something if if the lord is working in our life let's follow that let's put that as the priority knowing that he's going to return i mean can you imagine one day when jesus returns to stand before him and be like man that was awesome What a great moment for you to return because I was fully engaged in your work. Everything you've called me to do, I was doing. I wasn't doing it perfect, but man, I was engaged in what you had called me to do. The scriptures speak to the idea that when Jesus returns, we should be found ready. Second Peter 3.14 says, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. I mean, can you imagine just for a moment standing before Jesus and not being ashamed of the way you were living when he returned? I don't know about you, but that's appealing to me because his opinion is the only one that will matter. Being able to stand before him and, and say, you know, I know I'm not perfect, but man, I gave it everything I had for you, Jesus. What a worshipful moment that would be to stand before our Savior and be able to honestly declare we gave it everything we had for Him. We should not just be found ready, but we should understand the imminence of of his return is addressed in Matthew twenty four, forty four. It says, Therefore you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And in Luke chapter twelve, verses thirty five and thirty-six it says, Say, stay dressed for action, and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. The knowledge Christ could return at any moment should impact every part of our lives. Every aspect of the way we live should be colored, flavored by this idea that Jesus could return at any moment. If we knew the day and the hour, then there'd be a lot less urgency to get things done. I don't know, but I was a procrastinator in school. I do my best work under pressure. And so uh, when I knew that the due date for that 20-page paper was April 18th, I started it on April 17th. That's when I started that 20-page paper and realized this is a lot of work writing 20 pages of something. Um, But that was just the way it is because there was no urgency If the professor instead would have said in school, hey, I have a 20-page paper that I want you to write this semester and I can call it due any moment, there's a good chance I'm going to start writing that 20-page paper right away because I want to not fail my class. And so uh, knowing that Jesus could return at any moment, and that's why I don't care how popular the person is, if you hear them say, I know the day Jesus is coming back, you can just go ahead and tune them out right away. You just write them off and say, okay, well, you had a good ministry, you had a good run, Uh, I guess that good run is over because you have gone on to the wackadoodle place. So nobody knows when Jesus is coming back. Uh, We're not supposed to know and who cares? Like, if you could know, why would you want to know? Because to me, Having the urgency, having the imminency of Christ's return helps to motivate us to talk to our neighbors, to talk to our family, to talk to our servers at a restaurant, to to engage in missional work now, knowing it could be today. And I don't want to stand before Jesus and be like, man, I almost had that conversation with my neighbor. I was working up to it. One of these days I was going to. And the fact that we do not know when, should prompt us to be, to prompt us into action and be about our Father's business every moment. Recognizing the millions around us whose final destination is hell, they may not have time for us to procrastinate. They don't deserve for us to procrastinate on something so important and vital to eternal life. The next part of our statement it says that it will be personal, visible, and premillennial. And part of the scripture they take this from is Luke twenty one, twenty seven. It says and, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now I want you to go ahead. You might not be nerdy. I want you to go ahead and buckle on your nerd helmet because we're going to get very technical for the next portion of this. And I apologize for any of you who don't like to get technical, but we can't really talk about what this means without getting technical because most of you probably don't have a clear view on what pre-millennial, post-millennial, and amillennial views are of the kingdom. So uh, we're going to be very clinical as we talk about this because I want us to understand why our statement of faith says that his return will be pre-millennial most of you probably are thinking I don't really care but your foundation should be strong enough to understand what it what the end times look like uh, I don't do a lot of preaching on the end times because I, the more I study the less I know That's been my journey. People are like, you need to teach on revelations. I would love to if I could get to a place where I feel like I understand 1% of what in the world is going on in that book. Because it's like the more I study it, the more I figure out, I really have no idea what this is saying. I have no idea what this is. I read people from all different perspectives, and it's really hard for me to come to a conclusion on, well, this is definitively what I believe the end times is going to look like. So, what we're talking about, millennial, this is talking about the thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth. Christ will reign uh, both with and through the church. This is a period of time where Satan will be bound and have no influence on the world. And that's a big part of this, that Satan will be controlled. Bound, and he will not be able to influence the emotions, the culture, the the things going on in the world. The main scripture passage that these views are derived from, it comes from Revelation chapter 20 and verses 1 to 15. I'm going to read through it real quick here. There's a ton in here, but we're going to try to glean just what we're talking about with the millennial views here. So Revelation chapter 20 verses 1 to 15 says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years years and threw him into the pit. 1,000 years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the the 1,000 years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city, but fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were. And they were they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according. According to what they had done and the sea gave up the dead who were in it death and hades gave up their dead and who were in them and they were judged each one of them according to what they had done then death and hades were thrown into the lake of fire this is the second death the lake of fire and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life he was thrown into the lake of fire so that's what we're talking about pretty easy stuff right we are just lean right through there very uh, technical, some of these things. And the, the thing to remember, uh, I know a few years back I shared some of the videos to help us understand the differences and in, in the different ways that Scripture is written. There are different literary styles that Scripture is written in. Obviously, when you read something like Psalms, you don't take things literally. If you read things like Isaiah, when it says uh, that men will, be, uh, will fly on wings like eagles, the Bible's not saying that we're going to start sprouting wings and fly like an eagle. Like, obviously, that's allegory. That's that's using symbolism and things like that. Uh, Revelation uses some of that. And so you can't just read and say, okay, this is... Literally, exactly what it's saying is exactly what's gonna happen. And so that's where these, some of these views differ and some of, uh, you get different views. The first one we're gonna look at today is the post-millennial view. This view states that Jesus will return after the thousand years spoken of in Revelation chapter 20 verses 1 to 15. Post-millennialists believe the thousand years is largely symbolic and that we may actually be in the millennium right now. So that's part of the view of a postmillennialist. A postmillennialist would argue that Christ will not be present on the earth during the millennium. Instead, he will reign in the hearts and in the minds of the church uh, in a similar way that people could say, that, well, the, the Holy Spirit, God roams the earth now because he does so in believers. He is in believers, and so he's on the earth. Uh, so the pattern of events, because at the end of the day, uh, pre, post, and amillennial views can be described by the by the events, uh, how the events happen. So the pattern of events for a post would be the church, not Israel, will increase in righteousness until the millennium is concluded, the thousand years. Then the second coming of Christ, then the resurrection and judgment with those who know Christ going to heaven and those who do not no Christ going to hell for eternity. So that's the views, or, or the, the events. The second view is amillennial. Amillennialists teach there is no future millennial reign. So that ah being no, uh, amillennial they would assert that the thousand years is totally symbolic, spoken of in Revelation chapter 21 to 15. They teach the only kingdom that will exist is the kingdom that currently does with Christ ruling in heaven, that things will stay the same way they always have, that that's no different than the way it is now, uh, and that, that thousand years is completely symbolic. Uh, essentially, what amillennialists teach is that we are in the thousand years right now. And some millennialists or millennialists would, would say, well, yeah, Satan actually is bound right now. Uh, and he doesn't have influence on the world. Basically, we're messing this up all on our own. Uh, and while I might not fully agree with an amillennialist view, I can kind of get behind that idea. Like, yeah, we don't need Satan to mess up. Uh, we blame him for a lot of stuff that's really just us. Uh, we're messing up. Uh, and. Some of them would argue that if you look at things like, even say, the Middle Ages, or you know, when things were really ugly, like that's when Satan had influence, and he doesn't have influence now. Uh, and it used to be so much worse, and now within the Industrial Revolution, things like that, like that's an evidence that Satan doesn't have his hand on the Earth anymore because we've we've evolved so much and all of these things. So the pattern of events for an Amillennialist would be that Christ is reigning now in heaven. Christ will come again, and the resurrection and the judgment will follow, those believing going to heaven and those who do not going to hell for eternity. The third view that we're going to look at is the view that the Alliance holds to, as you heard in our statement of faith, uh, premillennialism. Premillennialists teach that the second coming of Christ will occur before the thousand years, They would hold that the thousand years spoken of in Revelation chapter 20 is largely literal. They would take almost everything literally in that passage. They would hold that we are not in the millennium now and believe it to be a future event that we have not entered into yet. Premillennialists teach that Christ, not the church, as found in post-millennialism, will establish the kingdom, that, that Christ will be present on the earth in bodily form for the millennial reign. So the pattern of events for a premillennialist would be our current age will continue in apostasy, or we will continue to decline until the second coming of Christ. Then the millennium will take place, followed by the resurrection and judgment of the unsaved. Those that believe going to heaven, those that don't going to hell for eternity. So I want to show you a little graphic. You can Google this if you want. Just do Christian millennialist views and you can find multiple graphics like this. This was the most simple one I could find that really explains what we're talking about. You have the pre trib at the top, uh, dispensational premillennialism. I know those are some fun words, right? You guys don't totally understand what that's saying. Um, basically, premillennial can differ if you're pre trib, post trib, mid trib, whatever. Uh, we're not talking about tribulation because we're not going there, it's not that important. Um, but their belief would be that there's the church age, which is what we're doing right now. This is the church ruling the church, living there and doing their thing. Then the rapture would happen. Then the thousand year reign. Then you have the second coming, or I'm sorry, the second coming with the church. Then that millennium happens. And then the last judgment. That's a pre-millennial view. That is what we hold to. The post-millennial would say, we're in this church age. Then the millennium starts, but there's really no event that kicks that off uh, that we will kind of just enter into it and many people won't even know that we've entered the millennium and then the second coming uh, and the to me one of the stranger things about post-millennialism is they believe actually society is going to get better and better and better and better and better that things are going to get will we'll actually increase in righteousness and holiness until Christ comes back I don't know about you but that seems comical to me I don't look around the world and go, yeah, yeah, okay, I can see how this whole thing's going to get better. Uh, I just kind of dismiss it out of hand just because of that part. Uh, Amillennialism would say it's a symbolic millennium that everything's going to continue on just like it is. Most amillennialists would say, yeah, society's going to continue to decrease until the second coming and the last judgment. So it's a pretty easy graphic to kind of get your mind around all of this. Now, if you see this, you can uh, try to understand if you, if you don 't remember our founder, the, one of the, the, the guy who kind of spearheaded the Christian missionary Alliance, his name was a B. Simpson. He was huge dispensational premillennialist. Uh, he was huge on that, very big into it, uh, and one of the reasons being um, that if you think about it from a uh, missionary perspective. The premillennial view gives you the most urgency to tell people about Jesus because if you're postmillennial, things are gonna get better. There's gonna be an age where it's weird to not go to church, where it's strange to not have the culture of the world and the culture of the church matched up again like it used to be, that everything's gonna get better and better and better. So there's really not an urgency to that. The, the amillennialist view uh, is may be similar in that it gives you some urgency but not nearly the urgency that there's just going to come a point where we're gone in the premillennial view we're just gone all of a sudden one day uh, and so there's this urgency to tell people about Jesus, to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, and it's and it's what I would say in reading a lot about A. B. Simpson, uh, the reason why I think he gravitated toward a premillennial view. So, uh, I've told you multiple times there's one part of our statement of faith that I don't think is essential, and this would be the one that I would say, yeah, you can be a postmillennialist or an amillennialist and still be a fantastic christian i read people who are both millennial and post-millennial and they're great believers and they're great christians and uh they're very smart guys smarter than me uh and they came to those conclusions so i, I have to look at uh why and and I, what i didn't want to get into this morning i could preach two or three sermons on uh probably a sermon on each of these views and the scriptural basis behind it and how the the process works to get to each of these stances but suffice to say it's not entirely as clear as we want it to be. Uh, some of us have maybe held to a premillennial view simply because that's what we were told. And that's what I want us to get away from in this series is, well, I believe this because our statement of faith says it. And that's not what I want you to walk out of this series with. Well, the Alliance says they're premillennial, so I'm premillennial. Uh, this is the one point I would say figure it out. Do some research. Do some study into this. Uh, You might not be as research nerdy as me, but uh, it is worth discovering. Diving into some of this end time stuff, understanding the scripture behind it and what the implications are of the different millennial views. I think it is very helpful. Uh, This is contested. I know that there are pastors in the Christian Missionary Alliance who are post-millennial. The, there's not many people who believe in amillennialism. Uh, there's a lot more that believe in post-millennialism. The traditional view of church is premillennial, um, but that doesn't mean we always got things right. So I would encourage you to do your own research to discover what it is you believe on this. And like I said, there's a pretty high likelihood in the revamp of our statement of faith that premillennial is not going to make it into the it's not going to make the cut into the new statement of faith because uh, both views have so much scriptural basis uh, speaking specifically post and pre okay you can take your nerd hats off uh, that's as clinical as we're going to get this morning um, but i want us to to understand it is important when all of these events are going to happen. I think it's, it's good for us to know, but at the same time, just live for Jesus. Just give your life to him, serve him, and just, whenever he comes back, he's coming back. Shouldn't matter really when he does. Uh, we should just be found ready. Whether it's today, tomorrow, or 100 years from now, we should be found ready. And that's, to me, the most important part of this uh, is that we would be ready. The last part of our statement of faith Says, this is the believer's blessed hope and is a vital truth, which is an incentive to holy living and faithful service. Essentially, what I was just saying. Yeah, this stuff is important, but all of this is an incentive to live for Jesus. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 to 14 says, For the grace of God has appeared As we said before, the truths that we've talked about through this whole series should be our blessed hope. But they should also motivate us to holy living and faithful service. Can you imagine uh, one day, one of the things I think about sometimes is, you know, what will people say? um, uh, I actually thought it was an interesting question uh, I saw. um, I think it was just yesterday or the day before. Would you rather... Nobody showed up to your wedding or your funeral. I was like, man, I have to think about that one. That's a tough one. But I I often think about one day uh, there will be a funeral and it will be about me. What will people say? I don't know about you, but I would love to hear the word zealous for God. That idea that uh, I had a zeal for the Lord. Because to me, that, that 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 speaks volumes of a life, to know that somebody, that that, that means Jesus was the priority, that the goal was honoring him, that, that living for him and doing his things and, and like this is zealous for good works, that somebody who lives a life where uh, family, all the things, you know, things that we just don't talk about. You know, Jesus was clear. He says, the love that you have for me should look like you hate your family. That's a a tough saying when Jesus says that. And most of us, no, I don't want to say most. There are many believers whose family is way higher than Jesus as a priority. And we have to get these things in order. I mean, there's good things. That's one of the things I would argue. The biggest enemy of God's best for our life is not evil. It's good. Man, if the enemy can get us to settle for good, he wins. And we think, hey, we're still doing good. I still go to church. I still give God some stuff. I still honor him here and there. And we've settled for good. And the enemy sits back and says, victory. And we would say, no, 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 no. The enemy hasn't won. I still serve God. And he got you from living at your best. He kept you from God's best for your life. And so he wins. And so all that we've talked about, I've I've told you, it's useless for us to talk about this information and then not walk away with, okay, what am I going to do about it? What am I going to do now that I have this information? So what can we take away from just what we talked about today? I think the biggest question that we're left with is do we live like Christ's return is imminent? If someone looked at our life, would they say, there seems to be like an urgency to the way that you live in some way. It's like you can't go anywhere without talking about Jesus, without being about his business. Well, yeah, because if I'm at lunch and I'm in the middle of my cheeseburger and Jesus comes back, I'm going to be like, yep, well, I was talking to my waitress about Jesus. I'd love that. I was about your work. I know I was out to eat and I was having fun or was doing, you know, just living my life. But yeah, there's an urgency. Everybody needs to know about Jesus. Everybody should know there's freedom found in his name. If Jesus returned today... Would there be things left unsaid or undone in your life? Or I guess maybe more the better question is, what would be left unsaid? What would be left undone if Jesus returned right now? That's not living with the imminency of Christ's return. But we should live in such a way that if Christ returned, be like, well, I didn't have a to-do list left. There were no IOUs. It was done. Are you excited about the imminency of Christ's return? I've actually talked to people who said, I don't want Jesus to return yet. I'm not married. What? You don't understand who Jesus is. I don't think you fully grasp the whole Jesus concept because being married, I'm married to a great woman, but I'd rather be in heaven, okay? Uh, I hope that doesn't sound mean, but... Jesus is better than anything that we could possibly grasp here on this earth. There's nothing that should make us want to stay here and this broke-down jalopy of a world than going to heaven. Nothing. And so we, we should be excited. But if we're honest, some of us would probably say, well, I'm not really excited because I have a ton of IOUs. I have a ton of things I still have to do for Jesus, and I haven't gotten to those yet. So I, I need some time to clear some of that stuff up, and then he can return. And I just want to encourage us, live a life that you would be excited if Jesus said, hey, I'm coming back today. I I just want to let you know I'm coming back today. All right, let's do it. Or does it give you anxiety knowing that your life isn't one of holy living and faithful service? Maybe you're in a season right now where you've gone back to some of those sins. You've gone back to some things that you thought you left behind or you're just engaged in things that you know are not of the Lord. And you're like, man, if he returned right now, the shame I would feel if I stood before him. Now, I don't ever preach in order to make people feel shame or guilt or anything. What I do hope for is that it would motivate us to exactly this, Holy living and faithful service because at any moment the beautiful part about jesus is at any moment we can just stand up dust ourselves off and say here i come jesus and take a step toward him we've talked before about the difference between a bounded set and a centered set the bounded set says well if you want to be inside of this box that we call christianity then you have got to do this 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 you have got to stop doing this 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 and this and then you can get in the box and that is garbage Jesus says, here I am. Come to me just as you are. So no matter where we are, there's no box we need to fit in, there's no checklist we need to hit. We can stand up, turn our face toward him, and start walking. And that's the beautiful part about who Jesus is. Let us live in such a way that no matter when Christ returns, we won't be concerned about the things that we wished we had done, but we could stand before him and just celebrate who he is, and what he did through our lives. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you are who you say you are. I thank you that one day you're coming back. I don't know when that day is. I don't know when that moment is, but man, am I excited for it. Lord, I pray that myself and everyone here would live a life that declares the imminency of your return through the way we live. I pray that our priorities would be such that any person could do an in-depth investigation of our life and they would come to the definitive conclusion that we believe with everything we have that you are coming back and you're coming back soon and that our faith and our hope is in you. Lord, I pray that you would engage our lives, that you would motivate us. Holy Spirit, would you speak words of, of clarity and wisdom to us that we would be able to decrease the things in, in our priority list that just shouldn't be there and increase you and your works and your business to the top priority of our lives. That we would live in such a way, God, that, that we would bring glory and honor to your name by the way we live. Lord, I pray the truths we talked about today would motivate us to holy living and faithful service today, this week, and the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a great week. Don't forget about our congregational meeting next week. I hope you can make it. If you're not a member, you're still welcome to stick around.